You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Chickity check check cherished chummy champions. Welcome to Good Job Brain, your <laughs> weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. This is episode 78, and of course, I am your humble host, Karen, and we are your gregarious, grungy group grasping for gripping granules. Mm. <laughs> I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm Chris. And guess what, guys? It's time for our usual correction segment. Hooray! Um, actually... Yeah, Chris, you got a um, actually. I got an um, actually. Time to suck it up and uh, admit defeat. Uh, listener Tom D. wrote us a comment and pointed out a very astute observation. I, in our show about temperatures, referred to degrees on the Kelvin scale, um, you know, because Kelvin is another way of measuring temperatures. The Kelvin scale, the unit of measurement is called a kelvin mm, it is not yeah. a degree kelvin like on the other scales so it is one kelvin two kelvins three kelvins which would be super cold mm. just like the cold ice burn delivered by tom d <laughs> yeah. but i deserved it you got and, served. Uh, yes, yeah. and it's a really really important point because that'll probably come up on a trivia yeah. contest yeah. at some point yeah. like, what is the unit of measurement called it is a a kelvin now let's jump into our first usual general trivia segment pop quiz hot shot it's me again, because again. that is because, uh, again, on a previous episode, we discovered, uh, hidden in a flea market here in Berkeley, California, a brand new copy of Jeopardy, the board game from the 1960s. Brand new in the 60s. Yeah. Brand new in the 60s. We popped the shrink wrap open, and as it turns out, a lot of these Jeopardy category questions, they're we would not be able to answer them today. Um, um, I picked out two more categories out of 60s Jeopardy that I think we should be able to handle. Yeah, uh, usually we just, uh, for Pop Quiz Hot Shot, I just pick a random current yes. Trivial Pursuit card, yeah. Yeah. which has a range of like pop culture and sports, mm-hmm. but this is all 1960. I think that we should do fine. Uh, all day, just every that day. Some of these questions, they may not... They they might not want to pose these questions anymore on on Jeopardy. Just the, the way that they're phrased. I like that. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, the, or time the, travel is part of or it. Or the, yeah. the ways that the categories are phrased. That's because a the first time. the first category is the mysterious East. Uh, <laughs> the exotic. <All> right. <laughs> uh, yeah, they probably wouldn't say yeah, that. Yeah, probably anymore. not. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's funny. It's mysterious, but most of the world's population is there. So like, 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 two people like, in the United States <laughs> in the 1960s. Yeah. For one hundred dollars, <laughs> the country which Marco Polo called Cafe. Oh. Karen. What is China? What is China? Yeah. Yes. Animal used in Malaya to help harvest teak wood. Huh. Malaya? Like Malaysia? Maybe. Uh, it, what is a water buffalo? Um, no. Oh. Guessing. Karen? Dana? What is a yak? Not a yak. Oh, I was going to guess what is a yak. A, uh, can, you, can you read Malaya? <laughs> Malaya. Malaya. It is an elephant. Oh, oh okay. okay. Um, yeah. In yeah. Japan, oh, okay. sumo <laughs> is one form of this sport. Oh. Colin. What is wrestling? Indeed. <laughs> China fought an 1839 war in an attempt to stop the import of this product. Karen. What is opium? What is opium? Yes. Mm-hmm. $500 question. Japanese word for yes. <laughs> uh, Karen. Hi. What is height? 
what is spelled Mo- spelled oh, sorry, H-I what is hype uh, in the in the oh uh, really questions oh. yes what is hi should be H hi yeah oh. hi hi <laughs> our our double jeopardy category is mythology mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, at least that hasn't changed much sure. since the 60s. That yeah. is correct. Yes. Still, cool. be, Still yeah, cool to say good. mythology. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, yeah. now that we all read comic books, it should be, uh, in fact, a lot easier. Oh, okay. that's true. Isis and Osiris were deities to these people. <laughs> uh, Colin? Who are the Egyptians? Yes. Yeah. Who were the Sorry, Egyptians? Who, yes. says, who are the ancient <laughs> Egyptians? <laughs> yeah. Because of course there are no Egyptians anymore, according oh, to this book. Says were? who were uh, the Egyptians? Oh, huh. <laughs> yeah. Who are the ancient Egyptians? Substance of wings which melted when Icarus flew too close to the sun. Dana, what is wax? What is wax? What's his dad name? It's Icarus and uh, Daedalus. Daedalus, right? Yeah, D is that right? Yeah. Yep. Great Hall in Asgard, wherein Odin received souls of heroes. Great Hall. The Great Hall in Asgard. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, so is that, what is Valhalla? What is Valhalla? Uh, yes. uh, uh, Thor. Eurydice's boyfriend. Oh, um, what's Blank his name? and Eurydice. Yes, yeah. it's, um... I don't know. Wait, wait, wait. Doesn't uh, begin with an O. What is it? Uh-huh. It's, um... He's not Lawrence Fishburne's character from The Matrix. No, but it... <laughs> or... Fe- Orpheus. Finally, the one thousand dollar question. Disappointed in love, she faded away till only her voice remained. Oh, Karen. Echo. 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 What is Echo? Who is Echo? Who is Echo? Although she was a nymph, so maybe she's a what, what? and not a who. <laughs> I am very, I am very lax with my with my Jeopardy, uh, <laughs> yeah. and so yes, I accept. I will accept that. Yay! Hooray! Sixty Jeopardy. Comes Good job, again. brains. So we get a lot of questions about our podcast and like, like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you guys so ugly? <laughs> uh, so I figured I'd share some from email, from Facebook, from Twitter, and we'll we'll share a couple of these. First off, someone asked, "How do you decide who does what bit?" Hmm. Hmm. It's kind of just whoever so grabs something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You stake yeah. you your claim on whatever you want to talk about. Not a lot of people know this, but w- what we do is we set up a topic, which is really general. You know, like a couple of weeks ago, it was on hot things, and that can be interpreted as, you know, chili pepper hot, or it can be heat and temperature. Mm-hmm. And so it's a pretty broad topic. And then all of us find something within that topic to research about. We'll, We've given each other an idea of what mm-hmm. we're doing, but we yeah. also try to not let on too much about what mm-hmm. it is we're, we're because talking about. Because we're cheaters and we would research it so we can answer the question. So we try to be mysterious. It's, a, yeah. Yeah. it's not about, it's just about trust, or in this yeah. case, not trusting. <laughs> mm. And sometimes we show up on day of recording not knowing at all who's doing what right before the show we'll kind of be like well i'm talking about something mm-hmm. like this last week for numbers Colin's like i got a music quiz and i'm all it's gonna be number music quiz so i'm already thinking like what numbers are <laughs> yeah i was i was trying to be very <laughs> circumspect in how to put it down because i don't want you to show up having already sort of you know not like cheating but accidentally mm-hmm. brainstormed right. accidentally but researching it, yeah. the answers <laughs> to right. we can't, <laughs> we can't surprise each other either totally because because yeah. we will both show up having researched uh, the same thing if yeah. we don't. You know. All four of us did Bombardier Beatles. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so what do we do now? <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, we have a question from Jonathan Barnett and Emily Murdoch. And they asked us, what did you guys study in school? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
like, what did I study? <laughs> <laughs> that was a long time ago. Japanese. I majored in Japanese. Are you yeah. fluent? 100% no, fluent? no, 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 no. No, I wouldn't say so. Dana, what did you study? So for undergrad, I did sociology and I did social research for a while. And then I was like, I want to do something different. So I went, I took a bunch of night school classes and engineering. And I thought about being an engineer for a while, computer programmer. And then I took a flash game making class and I was like, oh, I want to make games. And so I went back to school and I got a degree in learning design and technology. Now I'm a game designer. That's what I do. I studied psychology and art history. That was just kind of just based on what interested me. And I don't necessarily know that I applied either one of those in my in my day to day working life. <laughs> you know, the art a little bit, art and design definitely goes into it. Uh, I went to uh, I went to architecture school, like for architects mm. to become an architect and mm-hmm. I got out I was like you know what I like playing video games so I'm not gonna do architecture anymore and this week we're actually going to talk about school it is September many of you already started uh, your first day of school your first week of school and we thought we'd dedicate this episode to weird interesting fun facts so classes in session when I wake up in the morning and the alarm gets out of warning I don't think I'll ever make it on time all right, guys, time for a quiz. Take out a sheet of paper and your number two pencils. What's that? Will pins work? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is this paper and pencil, pencil you speak of? I don't think two. I've used a pencil in a... I don't think I've handwritten like something in oh, really? a really long time. I don't remember yeah. what my handwriting looks like. I hate my, I, just I, type. I, yeah, I type typing. everything. Mm-hmm. Even, yeah, even in school, I hated writing everything. But we did. A lot of the things, it was it had to be paper and pencil. The classic yellow number two, yes. often mm-hmm. a Dixon Ticonderoga. Oh, yeah. Pencil. Yeah. Uh, at least in America, it is seemingly uh, ubiquitous. Uh, With the crappy erasers that kind of just fall out. The little other. pink erasers. Oh, yeah, man. yeah. That are- so there is so much just great, you know, kind of nerdy <laughs> trivia wrapped up in this one object of the yellow number two pencil with mm. the pencil lead and the eraser on the thing. So let's just unpack this a little bit. So right, okay. right off the bat, let's just get this. Pencil. Let's just get this out of the way. So why is it number two? What? What is? Why? Oh, what, I don't know. When you oh. said, "Oh, Karen," I, I, I thought for sure. I was like, "All right." Out of the oh, three I know. Of the guys. So, yeah, what is a number two pencil? What does it refer it is, to? It's a it's a measure of the softness of the graphite or the hardness of the graphite. Oh, yeah. right. like H two. So, Karen, the reason I thought you might know the number one is so. As Chris, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. The the one through four are sort of the standard. There's a one, a two, a two point five, a three, <laughs> and a four. Are they all yellow? Well, so we'll get to that in a minute. Okay. We'll get to that okay. in a minute. So well, this is just about the, the lead or the graphite, actually, mm-hmm. on the inside. So the one are the really soft ones. And so, like, at either end of the extreme, they kind of tend to be specialized. So ones mm-hmm. are really popular with artists and people who do a lot of drawing because they're really soft, smooth lead. It kind of spreads easily. Oh, yeah. But th- th- it wears down really quickly because it's so soft. Right. So at the other end of the extreme, you get into your threes and your fours. It's a really hard lead. It predicts a really kind of a light line. Oh, I But see. it lasts longer. And- so it's like the H scale and the B scale in, yeah. in drafting and drawing pencils. Yeah, you have a yeah. B1, B2, H1, yeah. A2. Mm-hmm. A lot of the rest of the world, Europe and Asia in particular, use the 
HB yes. scale. Ah. Right, where H is for hard, mm-hmm. meaning like the fours, they're the really rigid, and then the B is for black. Why does America have to have uh, a weird measurement always, standard for everything. for everything? Well, you know what? Actually, the one through four measure the numbering system came from Europe. The number and oh. it came into America and then sort of fell out of favor in Europe. I remember, you know, one of the first little bits of like, oh, trivia, fun I learned mm-hmm. as a kid is like, oh, you know, it's not it's not lead in the pencil, it's graphite. Mm-hmm. You know, even though we call it pencil lead. Uh-huh. And they did actually used to use lead for writing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean you go like back to PB yeah. lead. Yes, like actual lead lead. Yeah. yeah. What no. a bunch of when did they stop? When did they stop using lead? They <laughs> people started right dying. About when the, when the, yeah. <laughs> they didn't stop using lead in pencils uh, until around the fifteen hundreds. And this is a oh, okay. this is a great story. They discovered graphite. All of it they kind of just they didn't really know what graphite was. They were just walking was. down the street one day. There like, is oh, a hey, story that goes that in England, in Cumberland, England, a gigantic tree uprooted. This is sometime in the fifteen hundreds, and attached to the roots of the tree and exposed by the roots of the tree were just these big globs of this dark you know, heavy substance that people found really made good lines, mm-hmm. really marked oh. really well. They called it black lead. Oh, okay. Or oh. plumbago. Plumbago. <laughs> and like that plumbago. Is the best. It sounds like a delicious fruit, doesn't it? <laughs> like yeah, plumbago? Yeah. yeah. Think right. of like a Winnebago, but shaped like a giant plum on wheels. <laughs> yeah, plumbago meant like lead, lead ore, lead, lead deposit. And they uh, thought that yeah. this was another type of lead. I don't even know what graphite. Graphite is, is carbon. It's a. Uh, it's like charcoal. Right? It's like burned up wood or something, right? It's it's a different. No, it's it's not burned up, but it's just a different form of carbon. The way like diamond is one form of carbon. Okay. Graphite is another form of Got carbon. It. Right. Okay. Just depending on how the you know how it's arranged. The name graphite didn't come along until 1789, actually. So for mm. hundreds of years, they just mm. called it black lead or plumbago, right? And mm. graphite means writing stone because it was sort of named afterward. Like this stone that we use for writing, let's give it a name. Mm-hmm. And it was coined by a guy who was basically trying to say, no, I don't think this is actually lead. I think it's something different. I think it's its own material. <laughs> but is people still called it pencil lead after hundreds of years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Why? Well, that's, it yeah. just stuck. It's still called pencil lead. Yeah. I remember, this is a dumb story. <laughs> I remember when I was a little kid, like, like if you got a cut and with the pencil, you're just messing around with the pencil and things happen and yeah, you got you stabbed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're like, oh, I'm gonna get lead poisoning. Yes. <laughs> but graphite, this was this was a huge deal. I mean, and it basically from from the discovery of graphite for the next hundred years, the best pencils came from the best graphite. And if you controlled the world's graphite supply, oh. you were just the... Oh, so, yeah. not surprisingly, the English for a long time were just, oh, oh, all the best pencils come from Cumberland graphite, you know? Oh. And it was... They, they didn't really know where the great deposits of it were. Because nobody had been looking for it. No one had been looking for it. They didn't even know it was a separate substance at yeah. first, right? England and France, they go to war occasionally. <laughs> you know, sure. if, if you know your history, you know they've, mm-hmm. they've been at war many, many, many times. So so during one of the many wars between England and France, uh, there was a blockade. And one of the things that the English were like, no, France, you can't have any of our awesome Cumberland graphite. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So uh, there was... They pencil blocked them. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. They pencil blocked the French. Yeah. <laughs> they did. But you know, like many other inventions, uh, necessity drives great inventions. So a man named Nicholas Conte, oh! 
Conte. Drawing pencils yes, and, and yes. art supplies. One of my favorite, just as very quickly, one of my favorite bits of looking at the history of pencils is all the big names that we know today Still are the big names. Yeah, today. Conte, Faber, Faber-Castell, yes, uh-huh. yes yeah. Stadler. These are all Stadler. of the... Yeah, Dixon. These are all the, the original big names. <laughs> right. big I like so nobody, You're so excited so about office supplies. You're like, nobody oh has God. really disrupted the, the pencil industry <laughs> in the manner. There's been no Steve Jobs yeah. right. uh, of pencils Disrupt lately. Just yeah. pencil impresarios ruling everything. <laughs> um, so he was forced to come up with... He couldn't have access to high-quality graphite. And so what he came up with is really what is we still use today is the modern graphite-making process for pencil leads, which is you take powdered graphite, and it doesn't matter if it's high-quality, because what he did is he mixed it with water and clay into kind of like a, like a, a paste or a slurry, and then extruded it into oh. really long... Uh, I love, strips. I love extruded uh-huh. slurries. Fi- fired <laughs> them. <laughs> fired them in a kiln, so they were, you know, oh, hardened, hardened, and more dried. durable. And and this became just a breakthrough in the world of, of pencil making. It was a very like top secret process. Thing. And this like, is still huh? not in a wooden canister like a pencil. This is just stick. They, they were at this point encasing them in wood in a few different ways. The basic process today is still pretty similar. Is you you have two slats of wood, you lay a piece down in the middle, you put another slat on top, and you glue them together. And They're glued together. It's yeah. Not yeah. Have you ever broken a pencil? Oh, it's you can't. You see a seam on it. You can see the seam. Top. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought they took a really long drill and drill like drill holes yeah, in each dowel. Well, it that was an early procedure for doing it. <laughs> Making pencils was tedious. All right, now the, <laughs> this is about to get serious. Yeah. yeah. Why are pencils yellow? Yes, that's my question. Why are they yellow? All right. Mm. So like so many other things we've talked about before, it's just a great marketing ploy that was successful and everyone copied. In 1889 at the World Fair in Paris. Always the World Fair. It's always the World Fair. Yeah, yeah. The Kohinoor Hartmuth pencil debuted. And now remember I said that, you know, wherever the best graphite came from was the best pencils. So at this time, it was kind of like, oh, the best graphite is Chinese. It's the best graphite oh. comes from there. And the so they... they mysterious re- East. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exotic East. So, so that was part of the marketing of the Kohinoor pencil. And it was, oh. it was billed as the top finest, best pencil in the world you can buy. So and it was pricey, it and they painted it yellow. Oh. There's a little dispute actually over right. exactly why yellow, but for whatever reason, they picked yellow. Uh-huh. And the story went that customers were like, I want the yellow pencil. Oh, oh okay. give me the ye- that yellow one. And so okay. it, that became the de facto color for high class, high quality huh. pencils. Huh. And that continues today, at least in the States. Alright. Wow, a lot of history uh-huh. in that one, one little thing. It is amazing. China, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Mysterious seas. Mysterious <laughs> Okay, I can't wait anymore. I gotta share this with you guys. So one of the things before I went to college, you know, I hear about the freshman 15, the freshman 15. And of course, you guys mm-hmm. know what I'm talking about, right? right. This is a yeah. very common term. Right. Freshman 15 is the, quote, phenomenon where... Uh, <laughs> the co- unexplained mystery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where kids go to college in the freshman year and they would gain 15 pounds. Mm-hmm. I'm actually interested if there are other sayings around the world if they call uh-huh. it something else. But, but in America, we call it freshman 15. Where does it come from and is it true? It is not true. It is a myth. It oh, is really? a big really? old yeah. myth. Oh. Now is it, it is it not true like it doesn't happen at all or it's not true it's not really 15 pounds? Okay, so there's yes. 
for both. The Ohio State University uh, did a study. On average, women and men probably gain around three pounds, but less than 10% of the freshmen actually gains 15 or or more. I mean, there are a lot of factors, right? That could be because... You're not having solid meals. You're, you're stressed nobody, out from your, school. Your parents are not like watching you eat anymore. You're not eating with your parents. You can eat whenever you want. You might My partying have, and drinking. You're, part, you're drinking a lot more than you used to in high school. But you're also coming out of your teenage years. You're oh, coming yeah. out of puberty. Right. So hormones, you're not, yeah, yeah hormones so, right. and your you're metabolism super fast is metabolism changing. is slowing down a little bit. Maybe you used to uh, be an athlete in high school mm-hmm. and you're not mm-hmm. playing on sports teams anymore. Or vice like, versa. And actually... 25%, a whole quarter of students actually lost weight I in their first. I lost yeah. weight because oh, I had really? to walk yeah. everywhere. Uh-huh. But uh, where did it come from? Where did the saying come from? It came from a 1989 issue of Seventeen magazine. <gasps> and on the cover, right on the cover, the headline is, Fighting the Freshman 15. It's huh. just that recent? 1989. No, they it, call it, it the Freshman 15 because it's alliterative. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. Because Fighting Freshman, freshman 15. 15. Fighting ah. the Freshman 5 doesn't sound as, as, as a bigger draw. It doesn't draw. sound as bad. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like five yeah, like five that sounds like yeah. a group of outlaws on campus, the Freshman yeah. 5. Yeah. Yeah. Last but, scene. Like, holy crap, 15 pounds. And it just basically kind of caused yeah. panic. I would have guessed it was like... 50 years old, that saying. Mm-mm. 1989, first written, first appeared, 17 Magazine. Interesting. All right, I have a quiz for you guys. Great. It is about famous people who used to be teachers. People who are famous mm. not for being a teacher, but who uh. were a teacher at oh. some point in their career. Okay, I'm starting to think of some already. All right, <laughs> let's, see, let's see if they're on the list. He taught school for a few years before going to law school, and he was also the second president of the United States. <laughs> John Adams. Yes, John Adams. You know what? Like which one? There's two. This is what he said about the kids in his class. Why he decided to go to law school and not be a teacher anymore. He called them. There's a large number of little rentlings, just capable of lisping A B C and troubling the master. Is how he talked about his students. So, well, not a lot of empathy. It's there. good he moved on. To I know. Maybe they should have gotten him out of pre K. Yeah. Yeah. This former elementary school music teacher composed the album Come On, Come On in the wake of her breakup from Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson? Yes, the actor. Who dated Owen Wilson? Wilson? Who had an album Come On, Come On? Um, Man. I do not. I don't know. know. I'll... I'll... I don't know. Cheryl Crow? Cheryl Crow! No, no way! (laughs) Good job. Amazing. Good job, Brittany. Um... He was a high school principal at the Mexican-American Wellhausen School in Cotilla, Texas. He was also the 36th president of the United States and tied with Lincoln as the tallest president at 6'4". Oh, gosh. Who's a tall dude? 36. 36. Oh. Uh, is that Lyndon Johnson? Yes. Oh, oh you got it for 36. Uh, well, I was thinking later period I could figure out. Yeah, okay. I mm-hmm. can just count backwards. Well, that's not fair because Abraham Lincoln wore a top hat, so it makes him, you know, your perception of him <laughs> is so much taller. taller. He is pretty sure before without the hat. I'm... In the wild, that is the Lincoln's natural defense technique, is to make itself look bigger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Puma attack. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> This musician was teaching math in Connecticut when Bridge Over Troubled Water reached the top of the charts. 
Is it Garfunkel? Yes. He was a math teacher. When yeah. That's he looks like a math teacher. Though. Yeah, he does. Totally he does. does. Yeah, you're right. He totally does. does. Yeah. Hey, kids. He, comes and sits, he sits on a chair backwards. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Garfunkel. Uh, yeah. He just, just, just call, call me, me Mr. Art. But I'm not your art teacher. I'm uh, your math teacher. No. <laughs> <laughs> what a fully realized vision. That's amazing. Uh, just with, like, tweed jacket and his the, the curly Jewish hair. afro. Yeah. And he comes up with his acoustic guitar. And here's to you, Mrs. Algebra. I think all of us had that. That was the opening scene for the Chris Kohler Art Garfunkel biopic. This author and former school teacher was inspired to write Lord of the Flies after allowing a classroom of boys to debate freely. Whoa! Uh, William Golding? Mm. Yes, sir. Okay. William William Golding. Oh, I can see that. I can see that. And right. He's just, just standing there like, like, this is chaotic. Yeah. They're so cruel to <laughs> each know, other. Yeah. Cool. Then the first one yeah. dies. <laughs> he's like, like should, I should I stop this? them or start no. writing? Like, that's just boys being boys. I don't know. <laughs> Human nature. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, last one. Who taught speech at the Boston School for Deaf Mutes and is also well known for creating a communication device we use today? A communication device. He taught sign Alexander Graham Bell? Yes. Oh, okay. He taught speech at the school and he married a student from there. Oh. When she turned 19. She was um, 19. <laughs> but that means they met before. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, of course, not that actually Different anyone time. uses a telephone anymore. Oh, you're right. right. He didn't invent texting. I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 he did invent Snapchat. <laughs> it's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So as we record this podcast, we're very close to Silicon Valley, the Northern California hub of many of the technology companies. But did you know that in the in the 1950s and 1960s in America, one of the absolute hotbeds of computer technology companies was Minnesota? What? Mm. Yes. Huh. Minnesota. Minneapolis, Minnesota was like... If if things had gone slightly differently, we could be referring to that as like Silicon. as Silicon Valley, IBM, Cray, Honeywell, all the old you know the big computer companies. They all had branch offices and such. They were all doing a lot of research in Minnesota. Weird, right? We might all be living in Minnesota right now. <laughs> in the industry. I might have never been born. <laughs> <laughs> I always confuse Silicon Valley and yeah. Silicon. 
no. value. I, oh, what's Silicon Valley? Like, I think that's down in LA. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's for that's something the other else. Value. Silicon Valley. Yeah. You know, I, I was growing up. I always mixed up the two. I thought it was the same thing. I, I think oh. if you oh. just spend a few minutes on Google, you'll see that it still gets mixed up quite a bit. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So the the state of Minnesota, the state, the, the government of Minnesota, of course, realized a lot of what was going on, and they were actually a very early proponent of computers in education mm-hmm. and sunk a lot of resources oh. into uh, getting computers into their schools. The government like, into did. The, the Minnesota government did into you know universities and like mainframe computers and stuff like that. But even really early proponents of getting computers into like primary schools, mm-hmm. high schools, mm-hmm. middle schools, stuff like that in the, within the state of Minnesota in the early. 1970s, they were getting a lot of mainframe computers up and running that the schools could access. And so what they did that was really like forward thinking and really interesting was that various state governmental organizations in the state of Minnesota came together in, in our early 70s to create the Minnesota Educational Computing Consortium, or MECC. I know that. You've heard of that acronym, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you why you know it. So, like, when they started up in, in the early 70s, they had hired – one of the, for their first hires was a young uh, college graduate named Don Rowich. And he was – while he had been a student teacher a couple of years before, still getting his degree in Minnesota and, like, going to schools – he was having trouble teaching some classes of kids history. And so he had actually, with a couple of his fellow student teachers, created or started working on a board game that would teach the kids about the, the Western expansion of the United States. People hmm. going from, you know, the East Coast and traveling in covered wagons and such to the West Coast. These guys had been, you know, at their universities, like using the early computers. Mm-hmm. And so they did out this board game and they were like, wait a minute, we, we could do this as a, computer game they called it first oregon uh Mm -hmm. and eventually named it oregon trail so and when you buy oregon when you used to go and buy copies of oregon trail in stores it was published by the mecc the minnesota educational computing consortium so oregon trail the game now is is often it's it's a video game that is that school kids still play uh they've got versions on facebook and uh you know and on ios then on ios and you can play even adults like to play it now and basically it is a it's a very early simulation video game you start as a family of people who want to move from the the eastern united states and like forge a new life in the frontier of the of the west in the 1800s and so it tells you who you are are you a farmer are you a banker are you a doctor or whatever and and that determines kind of how much money you have and you have to buy supplies and you go out on the trail bad things happen to you (laughs) because because it's the wilderness and people get bit by snakes and people people get get dysentery Dysentery. Um, they die of it they die of dysentery sometimes Sometimes your family dies but the whole point was (laughs) it was to give you know kids an idea of like you know a very interactive idea of like this is what it was like and this is what you had to do the first rudimentary version of this was created on what was known as a time-sharing computer. Mm. Um, they did not have personal computers in the early 1970s. I mean, basically, this was not something that people had access to. Not a lot of people had access to computers in general. So the way that a lot of these computers worked back in the day was through time-sharing. Mm. You had a computer terminal, which you used to interact with this computer. But then many, many people all sat in front of terminals... And there was only one computer. There was no monitor. 
It was a teletype machine. So there was a roll of paper. I mean, imagine a typewriter, basically, but you type something on the typewriter, and then the typewriter <laughs> yeah. typed back right. at you on the next line of paper what happened. Just one line at a time. So, yeah. it's, so I mean, really, it's like, you know, go west. And then the computer spits back at you, okay, I just went west. But, like, it's on a piece of paper that's getting rolled through this machine. And so when you were done playing the game, you had a whole paper <laughs> printout of the whole game that you had just played. And so that's how they played Oregon Trail. The only thing that was really, really remarkably different than the versions we play now, I mean, there were no graphics, but... <laughs> To go hunting, because there's segments in which you go hunting in Oregon Trail, and it's actually like a little action game. You, you, you go out and find animals and you shoot them. Mm-hmm. In this one, it just says, okay, you're hunting. And you have to type, bang, <laughs> with an exclamation point. And if you type it fast enough, remember that not a lot of students were like good touch typers back in those days. If you typed it fast enough, it was like, great shot. You got 100 pounds of food. Oh. And if you didn't type it fast enough, it was like, you missed. That's a good game right now. That's a good mechanic. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> As the 70s draw on, the MECC realizes, oh, personal computers are the big thing now. Like, we need to start getting actual, like, you know, self-contained personal computers into schools. So they take bids from the big personal computer makers. And surprising everybody, the one they end up going with is the young upstart named Apple. Mm-hmm. and the oh. Apple II. They did not go with an established name. Like, mm-hmm. Apple just submitted a low bid, and they were like, yeah, we'll go with these guys. So the state of Minnesota places a huge order for the Apple II computer. So Don Rowett, so then he gets hired by the MECC, and they're like, we need programs. It's like, oh, well, I've got Oregon. Mm-hmm. And the state of Min- and these guys start programming, including Oregon Trail, which is that is the version that I first played when I was a kid. It looks like an Apple, Apple II. Yeah. 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 But I didn't live in Minnesota. Like, I lived in Connecticut. I lived yeah. in California. You lived in yeah. California, yeah. and your school probably had a lot of Apple IIs with Oregon Trail, right? Yeah. Reason for that is because of what happened in Minnesota, because the MECC bought all these Apple IIs. They got all these Apple II programs. They create all their own Apple II educational programs and send them for free to the schools in Minnesota. Other states were like, hey, <laughs> can we have some of those? And it's like they a were turnkey like, solution already. Yeah, right. So they were like, yeah, well, I mean, all our programs are for Apple. So the states were like, okay, great. Well, we'll buy a bunch of Apple IIs, and then yeah. you guys license us all these pieces of software. Other states would pay Minnesota, mm. and then Minnesota would send them video games. Mm. Mm. The MECC, eventually, they spun it off as its own private company because it was doing so well it didn't need state funding anymore. Um, and then it was bought by the learning company. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is Carmen now San Diego. Carmen Sandiego, yeah. uh, which is now owned by Houghton Mifflin uh, Harcourt, mm. I think it's called, the, the book the company. Pub- publisher. Yeah, and so both the same company ah, owns. I remember yeah. uh, Number Munchers. Yeah. The MECC, I mean, they, they just cranked out a lot of educational games and for a long time They're it, good. Was, it was part of the, the government of, of Minnesota. Very cool. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, they found a test in Salina, Kansas, from 1895 that people gave to eighth graders. Oh, okay. And I have looked at this test, and it is, it's tricky. Like, (laughs) Well, eighth grade at that time was like graduating. Yeah, yeah. You have like a wife and kids. You weren't far away from your midlife crisis. (laughs) Off to law school. Yeah. So I pulled some questions from it, and I'll ask you guys, and we'll see how we do. Yeah. Are you smarter than a 8th grade? No. Probably not. No. Uh, give the nine rules for the use of capital letters. 
Oh my god. Oh, did nine. you know there were nine? Oh, so is it like at the beginning of a sentence? Yeah. Uh, proper nouns. Holy. Uh, uh, abbreviations. Abbreviations. Uh huh. There's three. Wow. Chemical, chemical symbols. It's Did probably like chemicals a in those days. Oh my god! Yeah. So like proper nouns, part of proper nouns, names. It's if that's part of. Oh, wait, Title case. Oh yeah. Did, wow, we're at like four. <laughs> yeah. No. All right. Okay. Capitalize the first word in a sentence. Capitalize the pronoun I and the interjection O. Oh. Like they used to say mm. O more. Oh. Yeah. Uh, capitalize the first word in a quotation. Capitalize the first word in a direct question uh, mm. falling within a sentence. Capitalize all nouns referring to the deity and to the Bible and other <laughs> sacred books. Yes, all right. Use a capital letter for president and presidency when these refer to the office of the president of the oh, United yeah, States. Uh-huh. Titles. Yes. Yeah, titles. Yeah, okay. Use a capital letter for official titles. Capitalize proper nouns and adjectives formed from proper nouns. Capitalize mm-hmm. every word except conjunctions, articles, and short prepositions in the titles of words or works of literature, music, arts, books, mm-hmm. etc. Wow. There's a lot of them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we we them. understand all of them. But, yeah, yeah, they're all right. You're like, oh, yeah, that's yeah, true. Like, oh, yeah, but sure, of course you, you do. It's capital yeah. I. Yeah. District number 33 has a valuation of $35,000. What is the necessary levy to carry on a school seven months at $50 per month and have $104 for incidentals? <laughs> pass. I pass. Yeah. Pass. Yeah. pass. Yeah. I'll read their answer. I was okay. like, oh, this is how you do valuations on school districts? Like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> these are things any eighth grader needs to know, Dana. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Levy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The cost of seven months of school equals $50 times seven, which is $104. Therefore, $454. Mill levy is therefore $454 minus $35,000, which equals a point zero one three <laughs> levy or $1.30 per $100 valuation of the district. Wow. Okay, last one. Who are the following? <laughs> Morse, Whitney, Fulton, Bell, Lincoln, Penn, and Howe. So first, Morse. All right. Samuel Morse. Samuel Morse. Yes. Morse code. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Inventor of the telegraph. Mm -hmm. Right. Eli Whitney. Cotton Cotton gin. gin. Uh, Fulton. Fulton. Is it the steam steam engine? engine? Uh, Kind of. Robert Fulton, the mentor of the first successful steam-powered paddle wheel boat. Okay. Yeah, I'll accept your answer, Chris. You accept mine. Yeah, yeah. I accept Colin. I feel like <laughs> partial credit is <laughs> Bell. Alexander, Alexander Graham, Graham Bell, Bell inventor, inventor of, of the texting. telephone. <laughs> <laughs> and the vine. Inventor of vines. Uh, Lincoln. Never heard of no. him. No. <laughs> uh, inventor of the Lincoln log. <laughs> inventor yes. of the stovepipe hat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Correct. Moving on. Oh, no. Oh, oh too soon. How about Penn? William Penn? Yep. Invented no, no, no. Philadelphia in, in Pennsylvania. Yeah, but what, what was his claim to fame? Didn't he founded, just like, founded, No, wait. Was like, it? founded the Pennsylvania colony? Yeah. Oh, wait, yeah. Okay. In, in, oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, okay. The colony right. of Pennsylvania in ah. 1682. How about how? H-O-W-E. Oh, oh sounds funny. Um, H-O-W-E. Gordy Howe, obviously. <laughs> winningest well, hockey players well known to of all time. Yeah. I don't know. Elias Howe, inventor of the sewing machine. Oh, yeah. Okay. As in, how am I going to get these pieces of fabric to together? together? Yeah. yeah. All right. So we learned a little bit. That was pretty uh, cool. We're, we're getting closer to eighth grader from 1895. <laughs> it's a long, long, hard death march to that. <laughs> like, it's like a, <laughs> doing the budget for a school district. <laughs> it is, yeah. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? 
That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. So uh, last year, the Times Higher Education World Reputation Rankings uh, released Whoa. a list mm-hmm. of what they said are the is this the, the best party schools. <laughs> no, this is uh, this maybe maybe the opposite. These are the <laughs> globally recognized super brands Ooh. among uh, universities. What do you mean super? These are the the best combination of reputation and prestige right. and academic prowess and oh. probably I'm sure some of it is just how famous they are. Sure. Uh, so so well so here. So there were six universities that they included in this, is this list. Within America or no? Well, worldwide? I, uh, this is worldwide. However, okay. I will give you the breakdown. Uh, most of them, four of them, are in America. Okay. So, okay. All right. so there are six universities here. What do you? Would you guys like to guess how many? I bet you guys can guess. Okay, I, can I guess, guess the other two. Okay. Well, so let's start from the top. So All right. Harvard. Harvard is on the list. Yale. Yes. Yale is not on the list. Oh, Stanford? Stanford. Stanford is on the list. Berkeley. Berkeley is on the yeah! list. Yeah, go Bears. Okay. <laughs> o- Oxford. Oxford is on the Cambridge. list. Cambridge is on the yeah. list. Yeah. MIT. MIT. Yeah. Oh, right. like, what are all the schools my parents oh, okay. used to? Yeah. <laughs> so what I thought was really interesting looking at this list of six was uh, Stanford University, California, Berkeley, MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and Harvard, and Oxford and Cambridge. Was What, uh, what, what do you guys notice about those uh, schools that stands out? They're all like they're all not nice to each other. They're all rivals. I thought oh. that was really neat that they were three sets of just diehard collegiate university rivals. Intense like, rivals. Intense rivals. Intense rivals. Yeah. Now to be fair, uh, Harvard does also have the Yale rivalry, and a lot of schools have more than one rivalry. Say within the same state. Yeah, yeah, and they're all you know regionally close to each other. And so, in keeping with the theme of back to school, part of coming back to school for every school year is you know just firing up, the, especially the new freshmen or the incoming students, with like these are our rivals. And you, have you, to you hate must them. hate them. Oh, you know, man. I've never even yeah. heard of this other school. It's, it's really intense. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. It is intense. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to talk just a little bit about some of the, just the crazy world of college rivalries and university rivalries. And, you know, a lot of it for perhaps not surprising reasons revolved around sports. Especially in America, the big thing is football. There's there's no doubt that college football is just the rivalry comparison for any two big schools. It's hard to beat Oxford and Cambridge for length of competition since they've been rivals since the 1200s. Oxford and Cambridge, of course, you guys probably know, has their boat race every year, which is a big deal. It's Mm -hmm. a big deal. Down the River Thames. They've been doing this since 1829. Cambridge leads the all-time series, 81 to 76. Cool. Uh, oh, close. Really it close. is close. There was only one dead heat, apparently, uh, in 1877. Too close to call. It's called it a wow. tie. Wow. Yeah. 
in America, it is all about football, college football. Um, so I want to just very quickly go over some good trivia and names because we do get these at pub quiz. Yes. You know, we'll yeah. say what two schools compete every year for the blank trophy. Oh, right. Yeah. These two schools have the oldest blah, blah, blah. So <laughs> so I think even if you're not a sports fan or a football fan in general, these are these will be some interesting things just to kind of file away. The longest running college football rivalry oh. in America, University of Michigan and University of Notre Dame. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, so that is the longest running rivalry. They've been playing since 1887. This year's game set a record for the highest attendance ever at a college football game. Wow. wow. 115,109 people. That's a lot of blue whales. That is a mm-hmm. lot. Of, yeah, if we convert that to our standard blue whale unit. The blue knit. Uh, the yeah. blue knit. We were calling them blueies, but blue knit is much better. Uh, so uh, University of Oregon and Oregon State University each year, they, their name for their game is the Civil War. You know, they all they all have these trumped huh. up names to really make it important. Wow. They fight for the platypus trophy. All right, which as it sounds like it's a statue of a little platypus. Do you guys do you like guys taxidermy? This is so surreal. It's a civil war yeah. for well, a platypus in Oregon. It's carved. It's a I mean it's a it's a statue. Well, cuz one right. school is the ducks. Yes, go on. And the other oh, school the is the beavers. Yes. yes. Wait, is yes. that is that That is why it is. They fight. Oh my oh. goodness. When they first commissioned the trophy between the two schools, they're like, "Let's come up with something that represents both, both animals." Yes. So we're like, "Well, the platypus the it's, duck bill and the beaver, beaver body. Oh, yeah, and that is what they okay. fight for. That's right, now cool. I like it. Now that's I like great. it. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's right. really nerdy and awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> USC, University of Southern California, and Notre Dame, they fight each year for the Jeweled Shalala Trophy, which, as it sounds like, is a shalala, a big club. And each year after the victory, they'll put a new jewel on, representing... I thought you were saying every time after the show, they hit someone with it. I was like, that is a horrible tradition. The captain of the winning team is beaten with the Jeweled Shalala. Question, pronouncing Shalala. 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 The jeweled shillelagh. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and each year they stud it with a new decoration. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Wow. It's a... Blingy. Yeah. Bedazzled. <laughs> it is an amazingly bedazzled, bedazzled yes. phallic trophy. Possibly uh-huh. the most phallic oh, of all true. the trophies yeah. given out. <laughs> I just think about jewel that. Incre- and, yeah. and again, just to drive the point home, if you're not a fan of the college sport rivalries, the deal with these things is that the winning school gets to keep it that For year. For a yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. 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 And you put it on display in your trophy case. Yep. Stanford and Berkeley, Cal Berkeley. Do you guys remember what we fight for? Yeah. The axe. It's the the Stanford axe, which is, that one goes back to an old uh, pep rally, basically, at Stanford in 1899, Hmm. where they were using it to uh, decapitate, like, a a straw man representing the Cal students, the Berkeley students. So, (laughs) they take it so far, you guys. Like, Like, the Berkeley-Stanford one, we went to those schools, like... It is crazy. They set this on fire. <laughs> really, they, really intense. They would make piñatas of people. <laughs> I don't know. Every it's time, weird. Every time you say the name, you have to hiss. You yeah. have to like, yeah. I still uh, do that. SMU, Southern Methodist University, and TCU, Texas Christian, they fight for the Iron Skillet. And it is oh. an actual iron skillet. It's not some it? oversized, you know, golden. It's, it's like a yeah. normal skillet. It's an iron That's skillet. Awesome. Make victory breakfast. Yeah. yeah. Oh, victory yeah. bacon. <laughs> victory bacon. Okay. Well, so uh, the TCU mascot uh, is the horn frogs, all right? The Texas Christian Ew. horn frogs. Wait, what are they going to do with the skillet? Well, the story, the story oh, goes oh. back to a game in the 40s that an SMU fan, I guess, was, uh, you know, before the game was uh, frying up some frog's legs in huh. the skillet. That's kind cute. of like, we're going to get you. 
the University of Louisville and University of Cincinnati. This this one might be my my favorite just because it's the most absurd. It's they, an empty can of nair. <laughs> the empty can of nair. They fight for the ke- the keg of nails. Oh my god! Oh my god so close. Yeah, I know. Really, really close. Wow. Is it really a keg of? Like, it, it's a replica now. <laughs> it's a, a replica <laughs> now. Because they couldn't get a, the like a real. They yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every year, someone had to jump in the keg of nails. Oh my god! The, the captain of the losing team. That's, a, that's where they keep the victory beer in the keg of nails. <laughs> yes. Once upon a time, it was in fact a keg of nails, symbolizing the players are tough as nails. Yeah. And so, those are just some of the fun rivalry game names and trophy names that I came into doing my research. Almost time for the final bell for our school episode, and I'm going to end it with a quiz about mm, lots of movies have been made about prep schools, about boarding schools. Mm, So here I have a pretty varied uh, quiz, some questions about movies that take place or is about boarding schools or prep schools. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a quick one-line summary and buzz in and tell me the full title of the movie. Okay. Okay. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. <laughs> <laughs> They're all Harry Potter. I know. Yeah, it's about seven movies. <laughs> They're varied. I hate all of them. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We know you, Karen. That's our show, everyone. <laughs> okay, well, right. let's get this out of the way. Okay, right. Kenneth Branagh plays charming but useless <laughs> Professor Gilderoy Lockhart in this boarding school movie. Yeah. Full title, please. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Correct. Who is Harry Potter <laughs> and the Chamber of Secrets? All right. Uh, this movie, set in the fictional Welton Academy, featured two very famous movie quotes. Oh, Captain, my captain, and uh-huh. Carpe Diem. Mm. Chris? Uh, the Dead Poets Society? Correct. Yeah. Mm. Brendan Fraser plays a Jewish high schooler who hides his religion to fit in with his posh prep school friends. Was this School Ties? It is yeah. School Ties. Oh, yeah. Very young Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. This is not, ah. a, this is not a wacky comedy movie. No, right? no. no. This, this is, is a, yeah, serious, serious drama. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. School Ties. This British film franchise is based on a cartoon that started in the 1940s about a chaotic and uncontrollable all-girls prep school. Uh, British listeners will definitely get this one. And Dana. Guess. St. Trinian's. Correct. St. Trinian's. I like your, yeah, British listeners and Dana. (laughs) (laughs) After winning the Junior Goodwill Games as Team USA, a band of eccentric but athletic kids try to adjust to prep school life as the new junior varsity team. Dana, full title, please. (laughs) Is this Mighty Ducks 2? Incorrect. Am I on the right track? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it is D3 colon oh, Mighty Ducks. Oh, wow. Which is, yeah. when this movie came out, it was kind of weird, but I was like, didn't they just win, like, as the Team USA? Yeah, and, they did. And now they're in this JV team for a school. All right. This coming-of-age movie starring Chris O'Donnell is so good, it makes you want to say, hua. Uh, oh, uh, uh, Scent of a Woman. Yes, yeah. Scent of a Woman. Very awesome Al Pacino. Argh. And a very young Philip Seymour Hoffman. Ah. Oh. He was also in that movie. Although he still looked 50. <laughs> <laughs> right. Chronologically young. And last one. 
Charles and Eric started an academy to help train special young kids to develop their extraordinary talents. <laughs> oh. Colin, Colin's excited. Uh, the X-Men universe. X-Men House. Correct. Hmm. X- X-Men House. <laughs> X-Men first class. Yes. Uh, okay, okay. Good job, everybody. Uh. And that is our show all about school stuff. Thank you guys for joining me, and thank you guys, listeners, for listening in. Hope you learned a lot. Oh, man, learned a lot about <laughs> pencils, about Oregon Trail, about teachers, about Freshman 15, a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, you can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and also on our website, goodjobbrain.com. And also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And thanks to our sponsor for this episode, Audible. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.